From Bristol, UK, I'm Pommy Harmer. And I'm Melissa Shamam, and this is The Quarantini. We're bringing you this podcast every week to keep your spirits up and until the COVID crisis in the UK has ended. As with every week, today we'll bring you a mix of ingenious responses to the virus, creative ideas for the future, and a dash of the unexpected. And to start, a big thank you to Seb Gutierrez and his band, The Old Bones Collective, for hot flu or opening music. Hello and welcome back to the final episode in season two. And coming up in the show today, Melissa? We have an interview, a special interview with an artist that I really adore. Hassan Ajaj is uh, the visual artist that is at the heart of the new exhibition, which has just opened at the Arnold Finney Gallery here in Bristol. And the mixed part of the show will include, as usual, a roundup of exciting responses to the coronavirus. And for the dash of something special, we've got some music, of course. And you know what? We've got some more Massive Attack because, you know, what better song can I choose? So last week I explained that the band came up with a new EP called Utopia that feature experts telling us about how we can improve the, the, the current world. That uh, work was really inspired by the current crisis and the lockdown. It was constructed in a lockdown with all these experts in different locations. That song uh, doesn't have a name. It's about tax heavens, and it features the poet and singer from New York, Saul Williams, and the professor, Gabrielle Zuckman. Yes, talking about tax havens. I really enjoyed the last two tracks last week, so if you missed those, go back to episode 15. Brilliant. And it goes like it's supposed to be Ain't nobody scared, can't prepare Cryptocurrency, Counterfeit love on the market The international tax haven system siphons off $700 billion in profit each year from sovereign states. Even in normal economic times, the damage to those countries is extraordinary. Countries like Britain, France, Germany, and Nigeria lose 20% of their corporate tax revenues to these offshore secrecy jurisdictions. In the year approaching the COVID-19 outbreak, Close to 60% of U.S. multinationals' foreign profits were put in tax havens. Profits moving to these havens are totally artificial. There's very, very little real economic activity in tax havens. The economic and thus social scaring of this pandemic is without modern precedent. So how do we end tax haven extraction in a time of emergency? First, we should publicly highlight that big multinationals have a tax deficit. The tax deficit is the difference between what a corporation should pay if it was subject to a minimum tax rate of, say, 25% in each country where it operates, and what this company actually pays. Second, countries must collect this tax deficit. To do so, they can simply look at where sales are actually made. When this company makes 10% of its sales in Britain, then Britain would collect 10% of their tax deficit. We don't even need a global agreement to end tax havens. Any single country can unilaterally decide to collect the tax deficit of tax-dodging multinationals today. If several nations join forces, as nations like France, Denmark, and Poland effectively have 
in varying companies registered in tax havens from state bailouts. This could be enough to render tax havens useless for major companies. And collecting the tax deficit of giant multinationals would be vital to treasuries and public services now on course for colossal strength. That was Massive Attack with a very unusual uh, featuring vocalist, uh, Professor Gabriel Zuckman, an expert on tax evasion, tax avoidance and tax heavens. So now it's time for our weekly roundup. But before that, let's just remind everybody how they can get hold of us. Sure. You can email us at thequarantinipodcast at gmail.com and try to find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Yes. So let's start with Bristol. What's happening here? So... What about street art and face mask, Pommy? What could go wrong, right? Mm. Well, then, the local artist called Diff has created a tribute to Dale Boy, you know, the character from that show, Only Fools and Horses. Dale Boy, I do, yes. So this um, piece of graffiti appeared in Ashton Gate, and um, it's just near a block of flats where the show used to be filmed. Um, the show is set in London in Peckham, but much of it was filmed here in Bristol. So this is where these uh, graffiti appeared, and it represents Dale Boy trying to make a couple of quid selling face masks from a f- suitcase. So it's quite funny, and it's um, very spirited and very Bristolian as well, because as you know, a lot of people are having controversy about masks, and we won't get into there. We have to wear them. We should wear them. Don't you agree? I do agree. And I've been out to supermarkets and what I saw was that everyone was wearing them. Now, actually, I think when everyone's wearing them, it's just a whole lot easier, yeah, isn't it? totally. Go on. Now, staying with the hot topic of masks, some ingenious person has come up with a transparent mask to help lip breeders. It's been one of the major downsides of face coverings because wearing masks has caused a huge amount of anxiety within the deaf community with people finding communication suddenly much harder. But a voluntary group in Scotland, the Kintyre Scrubs, took on the challenge of making coverings that still left a person's mouth visible. And this was in order to help a 12-year-old in their community. They found some acetate plastic sheets used for primary school's projectors and they used these to make the masks. They've got one problem to solve, they say, and that's to stop them getting steamed up. But it's great, isn't it? To help that community. Yes, of course. We don't want anybody to be more stressed than necessary. Well, Pommy, another initiative that I wanted to mention is um, a, a company called Agile Property. Um, they provide flexible, environmental-friendly homes. They're tailored to your needs. And then small housing units that makes most of the small sites in ways that other solutions can't really match. And they are very ecological You can watch on YouTube, they made a video for Earth Day 2020 that explains really well how it works. So basically now they are 
tailoring those small housing to response to the three main crises we're living through, the obviously COVID-19 pandemic, the housing crisis and climate change. So that's absolutely wonderful, isn't it? Um, they are supporting, for instance, NHS staff to safely social distance by uh, converting those homes into COVID-19 response home. So that could be very interesting for some for some people in need to be more distant. And they're creating innovative uh, development model and they're also building super insulated, low energy homes. So I think it's the future. And you know what? This company is based here in Fishbond. I know. It's great, isn't it? Now, are you working from home and dreaming about a foreign holiday? Well, maybe you could combine both, in which case Barbados would be the place for you. The government there has launched a scheme called the Barbados Welcome Stamp and they want to encourage you to come for longer than the usual one or two week holiday. They've just started taking applications, giving international visitors the opportunity to work remotely on the island for up to a year. OK, so what's the catch? Well, money might be the first one. You'd need to stump up $2,000 per person and earn more than $50,000 per year. Maybe that's not for me, but my priority would just be, what about the weather? Well, yes, that's pretty near perfect, Melissa, although it does catch the hurricane season. Yeah, in August, September, maybe just go from October to be safe. What about healthcare? Healthcare, yes. Well, despite the Prime Minister, Mia Amor Motley, being praised by the WHO for her handling of the pandemic, and I think I read they've had something like 15 cases only, you do have to come with your own health insurance. Well, I'm never sick, so I'll take the risk. But what about broadband if you want to work? This is quite key. Broadband, you don't need to worry. It's faster than the UK. Yeah, actually, I can believe that because sometimes here it can be tricky. <laughs> Last but not least, what about insects? Insects are, well, maybe that's the catch because they've got a lot of very mean mozzies. But I reckon if you just have a quarantini and keep dipping in the ocean and have a laptop nearby, I think you'd be OK. Yes, yeah, stay in the water with your laptop. <laughs> and finally, further afield, in India... There's a lovely Facebook group that has been uh, helping vulnerable people. It's called Caremongers India, and it was launched at the start of the lockdown and has significantly grown since. It has helped connect volunteers with the people the most in need. It came from Mahita Nagaraj, and it's a digital marketing professional from Bangalore. She got this idea after a few friends living abroad asked her for help checking with their elderly parents in India. And the group now has uh, 40,000 members. In addition to people offering via Facebook posts, they also have a helpline and a WhatsApp number. At the beginning of the lockdown, they were receiving 1,000 calls and 2,000 messages each day. Now they have like 200 calls each day and about a thousand messages per day to try to reconnect these people. So it's a bit like our NHS app, isn't it? The, the responders app where people could sign up and, and, and be contacted if things needed to be done. Apart from the fact that it's like a, a totally personal initiative that grew, you know, she got no support. That's wonderful. It's amazing. It's amazing what people do. Yeah, just believe in your idea and, and it's so, so nice to see so many people just working so hard just to help others. Yeah. And being creative. Indeed. I think it's the creativity that we notice, don't we, doing this podcast? Absolutely. All right, so now it's time for our interview. And 
you, Melissa, have done the interview this week. Tell us all about it. Yes, so talking about creativity, that's the first time we have an artist interviewed in the Quarantini podcast. And I think it's quite relevant because art galleries are reopening all over the countries, a bit later than some of the other European countries around. Uh, in London, but also here in Bristol, we mentioned that last week, the RWA is about to reopen and the Arnold Finney Gallery just reopened with this fantastic show. And the artist is our guest. He's called Hassan Ajaj. He was born in Morocco, grew up in London, where he's still based, and he was in lockdown. The show was supposed to open this spring, but obviously he was postponed and postponed, and the whole team was trying to protect it from being cancelled. Luckily, there we are, and you can book a slot. It's totally free, as usual, with the Arnofini. You book a slot, and you be sure that you'll have enough space to distance yourself from other visitors. And you know what's really, really interesting with that show? It's called The Path, and it's uh, different pieces from Hassan, who's a visual artist using photography and incredible colors and reference to different cultures, especially his own in Morocco. So you can see a lot of portraits of people wearing very long gowns, like in the traditional North African Muslim sort of way, but also face covering or, you know, veil and all these sort of references. But it's almost uncanny as we come up with all our face covering or mask uh, in a very grim way, like to fight the pandemic, to see all these pictures with bright colours and use of gold and silver so joyful and so eclectic and representing a completely different version of that idea of why you would hide your face or this like oriental mystery or a different culture or you know the clash between the street and intimacy so i'm sure you would find it really intriguing and it's also so joyful there's also a part that is um made of films and there's a lot of music i can't wait to see this exhibition i love art that's colorful and joyful you know it just inspires you doesn't it totally totally it's like a trip to a different place an imaginary country here is Hassan Ajaj I uh, I mean I was born in Morocco came here at the age of 13 I'm like you know one the birth there and growing up in London and London growing up totally in London not outside London so those things have come out in my work in my lifestyle so how is it for you to use all this kind of symbols and colors from Morocco from North Africa because you you were one of the first to do that in in London it might be just a way for you to get noticed but how did it start yeah I mean it's probably that first coming to London in the 70s not speaking English so I think the first stage is like settling and adjusting. London was a different time, different world, you know, not just London, but all around the world. They had a different type of mix here because obviously they had people that they ruled like India, China, Caribbean and stuff. So my first friends were from this background and because I was the only Moroccan kid at school and the only Moroccan kid in the neighbourhood. So I felt closer to somebody who looked similar to me or had the same story they'd come in trying to fit in. And I think in the 80s, we sort of wanted to be part of London. So everybody, all my friends, some became a cook, somebody became a photographer, video maker, fashion designer, you know, music, blah, blah, blah. So because we didn't have places to go to, we didn't have, a, you know, a place to hang out, to express. We was hanging out in the street, in the corners, you know, because there was no youth clubs for us and stuff like that. So I think that's when it became a melting point. As far as all the colours and stuff, I suppose growing up in Morocco, it's very bright, very colourful place. So there's a memory of that and we're not scared of colour. And growing up in London, I always say it was like film noir. It's, you know, it's very much dark, 
grey. So it's almost coming from a Technicolor country to a film noir country. And I think in my work, it's probably escapism as well, you know, escaping the moment. So, you know, when I'm shooting, I'm in that moment of dressing up somebody else or, you know, finding a, a colourful backdrop. So I think it has, you know, all these elements of the journey. That's quite amazing, though, because it's very unique. And compared to a lot of other artists who are very multicultural and very vocal about social and political issues, there's a lot of joy in your work, right? It's more about celebrating uniqueness. Yeah, proudness, unique. Also a journey, not just of me, people that I grew up with around me, that, that influenced me, that, uh, you know, I've had a relationship with friends. Um, so I think it's partly that. And also there's a, there's a, everything in there. Hopefully there's a bit of politics, there's a bit of religion, there's a bit of, the sort of people that have been moved around and scattered over the globe because we're the first generation, you know, that's been happened to that where we can travel. And, you know, yeah, let's say I have friends from all over different parts of the globe. I grew up in London. They probably wouldn't have that kind of thing if I just grew up in London. So there's that, you know, apart from having a pretty picture, hopefully the images long-term, they can stand you know, capture a moment and, and document. It's all about, you know, documenting as well. Can you share with us how it started for you to want to be an artist? Were your parents supportive? Did you start with one medium in particular? Did you go to art school? No. Growing up, I left school at 15 from in England, no qualifications. We was the kind of kids I grew up with and myself. We was very uncomfortable to go to a museum or a gallery. That was a, a world far away from us. Uh, you know, if you put us in front of a piece of work we wouldn't even know how to stand in front of a piece of artwork in the gallery or museum uh, and it wasn't cool for us you know there was sort of some another world but you know as I grew up in London after le- uh, leaving school I just had all these creative people around me you know it was happened naturally it wasn't planned uh, you, you know wasn't planned I had the friends that studied photography film so you know they were, these friends were like actually preparing themselves knowing what they wanted to do and le- learning technically and historically about the arts I was coming from, I always did so many different things. I used to do lots of uh, parties in London, which meant I would find a space, decorate it, put a DJ, a band. It was learning. And then on top of this, I had a small boutique in London selling, I suppose, and it's called Streetwear in 1984 called Rap. And it's become a meeting point for lots of friends, creative friends who would come and hang there with Central London. And in the basement, I had a record shop, you know, selling to DJs. And then I met a friend of mine, Zach Ove, he's an artist, he's a very good friend of mine. He was doing like music videos, so I worked with him doing casting, location and stuff like that. And then another friend of mine was doing, he's just started his career doing styling, fashion stylist. So done, I worked with him for magazines, catwalk shows, and then I had the shop. So this was my, I always say in the interviews, this was my sort of, uh, my university learning about production, people, and then all the influences, music, passion, art, and stuff like that. And this really came in my work. Um, it wasn't planned; it just happened. It had an idea, and I go and do it. And then, when I, as I was sharing my work, I started to understand myself, the kind of art I'm doing, and my influences. And it really has the journey of sort of uh, growing up here in Morocco. So, in a way, it's very close to the artist from Bristol that I wrote about because I, I, I spent a few years writing about the cultural scene here, and you know, from like 3D doing graffiti and tricky rapping, they all like well, didn't go to university yeah. and they made their, their own counterculture up until Banksy. Do, do you have like a special interest in that? Funny you saying that because I know Nelly, you know, he's from Bristol, who, who uh, is a very good friend of mine. Nelly, Nelly oh, really? Yeah. Okay. He's come to my parties, you know, he'd done the Soul Soul album, which Jazzy is a very good friend of mine, he's from yes. Camden. So, Nelly, I know very well, and I met Nelly in the early 80s. 
It used to bring mixtapes from Brazil. So I got loads of old mixtapes. And then I, I met Daddy G, you know, and then uh, I was a big fan of uh, Ronnie Size. Mm-hmm. You know, I went up to Bristol Cup a few times back in the late 80s. So there's a nice connection. And we used to have a clash. The Bristol guys would come down. I used to run a club. One of my first clubs in 1981. And they used to do a clash here between London, the sound systems, and Bristol. So for me to have a show in Bristol, it's a very special moment for me. Yeah, you know, because of lockdown, there's a lot of things we cannot do, but there's also a lot of more openness here in Bristol. It's like people are really happy to to help. And we're all very, very proud that the Arnold Finney might come come back with your show. Because, again, it's a celebration of life, of um, yeah. subjectivity, of uh, colours, of like, you know, it's, it's, it's a particularly fitting, right, the, the, this very yeah. good year. Because we can see 2020 as some sort of like doom and gloom list of bad events, but it's also a magnificent time to change and embrace novelty and move finally into the 21st century, don't you think? Yeah, well, I think you hit, you hit on the head. It's uh, it's, a, it's going to be a historic year. Uh, everybody's face to look themselves in the mirror and, and value who they are and what they are and what's the, you know, what human beings mean. So there's a lot of questions. I really hope it will make some change. You know, I think there will be without, even if you don't want to, there's going to be changes in people's lives, you know, from a business, from, you know, so many different parts but definitely for me as I say it's a really special moment and now I'm trying to see like because the lockdown had to work with this we're waiting for Bristol Gallery to come back to us yeah. and I'm still thinking I suppose some positive back to people as well. Wonderful so can you tell us a bit more about why this show what, what was your idea behind the path? So the path was really it's um it's basically the show is like half half there's one part of the show you know uh, images from Morocco that I grew up with and you know the stuff like that and the other half is me London and the people from London in the pictures are basically like friends I have uh, Helene who's a Brazilian capoeirista Wissin Kamal who's like half Chinese as jazz musician there's sort of uh, you know the poetic these two Jamaican girls who are, who are Muslims they're like um, you know rappers and really when uh, this show started in Cardiff and it was during the period of um, Brexit, you know. And when I came up with the show, one of the ideas for the London side was, you know, I saw Brexit was about division, what they were trying to do, divide people. And then I thought, you know, we're part of the thread of, of London, England, you know, all the people from all over the globe that we all put in something. So I chose a group of friends uh, from musician, capoeira master, you know, the, all sorts of people. And I put this together. And... Um, the path, the title, actually came from an album that I bought in the 80s that it took me about six months to find. It's by Ralph McDonald. And one side of the album is one track. You know, normally the album, you have six to eight tracks on one side. It's one track and it's the evolution of African music. So it starts on the African continent and it crosses over to the Atlantic to the Caribbean. And for me, that's what I saw with these friends. They're from all over the place. They've crossed over somewhere and we landed in this space. So that's really part of the show. So it's a journey of me, you know, my path, Moroccan, bringing that Moroccan side of the work, and then landing in London, meeting all these incredible characters and bringing that into the mix. So it's, that's really, the, the, I suppose, the meaning of the show. That's brilliant. That was Hassan Ajaj, a visual artist from London, born in Morocco, that is currently exhibited at the Arnold Fini Gallery here in Bristol. It's an amazing show called The Past that was at the New Arts Exchange in Nottingham in the winter, has been delayed, but is now open for the whole summer. 
And Hassan will have many other shows worldwide next year, if we're lucky. So this is a very international event, down or place, and we'll, we'll talk more about the rest very, very soon. So it's nearly time to finish now, but before we go, we have some more music from Morocco. Tell us all about that. Yes, I thought we could finish with a sound that could funnily match some of the themes that Hassan has uh, referred to in his show. Uh, it's like traditional Moroccan music, but coronavirus-related. I'll let you listen. There's, there's no word to describe it well. <laughs> That's it for the quarantini this week. We'll be back next week with a new cocktail of ideas and positive news for you all. In the meantime, we'd really love to hear from you. So one way is to get a hold of us by emailing us at thequarantinepodcast at gmail.com. And we're also on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. This podcast was hosted by me, Melissa Shamam. And was hosted and produced by me, Pomi Harmer. Thank you for listening. And stay safe. 